Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. New York on Sunday. Big city taking a nap. Well, after my big roll through Central Park yesterday, I'm Alex Garrett, Alex Garrett Podcasting. And uh, on this Sunday pod, we're just going to relax. We're going to have a great conversation in just a minute with my guest who's making his first appearance today, Thomas J. Murphy. He's a financial tech uh, consultant, and he works at uh, Schoenfeld strategic advisors. And, um, well, Thomas, you know, you and I met on a subway in New York and now here we are a few months later. Thanks for joining me. Uh, I guess it is, uh, Schoenfeld strategic advisor. What I want to bring you on to talk about is numerous aspects of this pandemic and the hedge fund, uh, industry and what you're seeing with the trends. Uh, what inspired me to first hit you up though was say it was, when I had seen that this fallen hedge fund, Jacob Gottlieb, got this PPP loan. And when someone sees that and they see they're connected to a hedge fund, it really sort of damages the reputation of hedge funds on the whole. So I guess my question to you would be, when people see a headline like that, fallen hedge fund gets this, they shouldn't take too much stock in the hedge fund itself, right? They shouldn't still doubt it's a, the hedge It's fund. a business like any other business, really, you know, if... Uh... If you're eligible for a PPP loan or, or any other kind of thing, it, it's no different than, you know, any kind of business, a retail business or a, you know, you know so they, they tend not to employ a lot of people. Uh, you know, so, you know, if they have financial difficulties because of uh, COVID, then, you know, it's, you know, due to filing, why wouldn't you? Well, what is, what has been going on with Schoenfeld? Because we literally met right before the pandemic. So what's been going mm-hmm. on there during this whole time? Well, you know, listen, it's uh, you know business as usual for you know not just my company but other companies in the space, and we're all working from home, and uh, it's a little bit new for you know I'm a, I'm a, I'm on the technology side, so for me working remotely is very um, you know second nature. I've done it a lot, but for some of our traders, it's a uh, you know, kind of a new experience because normally you'd be on a trading floor with a bunch of other people and, um, you know, uh, working through problems together. So it's a, it's a, it's a different way to work, but, um, you know, I'd say that people adopted very quickly. I got to so, ask about um, that because I remember when they shut down the stock exchange floor, it, you almost felt it was the end of the world, didn't you? Um, I, I would say that the, the stock exchange... 
things are so much different. You know, the stock exchange floor was, you know, a thing for a long time, but a lot of the trading left the stock exchange floor in the 90s. So there hasn't, you know, it's more of like an idea than anything else. So, we, so you, on the stock exchange floor today, you would have uh, market makers who are, you know, still, still doing manual trading, but I'd say 99% of all trades are electronic now. And it is, uh, you know, so, so it's not really done on the floor. You know, whatever happens on the floor is it's more of, you know, they show that picture or those, you know, the video you know, on the news clips about the stock exchange and you see a bunch of guys yelling and screaming at each other. But, you know, for the most part, 99% of the trading is done in very quiet rooms with, you know, five or six guys, you know, <laughs> sitting around then, the terminal. Thomas, if that's the case, how come the markets sort of sank as that announcement was being made? Because it seemed to have really affected the market that day. It's a, like, like I said, it's an idea. Um, you know, people get panicked, uh, but it is a... Uh, yeah, it's it's still the same. It's still humming. It's a, it's a bunch of machines. Well, and and Thomas, let me ask you this then, because um, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but you see the trends. When people start to get laid off, did you find them trying to invest in something uh, to try and keep money going even after they got laid off? Did you notice any of that? <clears throat> I have not. But I'll tell you what, though, I am not on the trading side, so I, you know, like I would be more of a like, you know, I. I Think of me as an enabler, in a sense, but not necessarily the guy that's, uh, you know, coming up with the strategies. I, you know, I help and, and assist, you know, um, you know, make the dream a reality. So, like, in my world, uh, we do, you know, millions of trades a day, and my job is to keep that, keep that humming. So, I don't know. If I, I, couldn't, I couldn't really talk about the trade volume of a particular day unless I was looking at the, you know, the actual data. Well, let's talk but, about that. What, what, let's talk about the data then. So what, what data have you been seeing um, that maybe the regular public doesn't see or doesn't want to look into more during this whole time? I'd say that uh, in, you know, back in March, we had some very, very heavy trade days, obviously. And then uh, a lot of that has, uh, you know, seems to have gone back to normal. You know, initially there was a lot of, tra- you know, there was a lot of heavy trading, but, uh, you know, if you're looking at the, at the market, it's up a hundred, down a hundred, up 200, down 300, you know, it's, uh, it's volatile within and, you know, with, you know, with it, with, yeah, but it's, but it's not swinging up and down thousands of points at this, you know, today. So maybe you, maybe yeah. you can answer this. I don't, I'm, I know you do the data. So let's say a vaccine gets announced. I feel like when those announcements of the actual vaccine or that there were successful trials that does affect the market doesn't it i'm sure you're seeing that oh of course but it would affect you know uh, yeah obviously that would have some market effect and people would have to uh you know the market would rally behind something like that because that would mean that people would be going back into the offices and going back to work and and um you know, increasing, I guess, in person, you know, like, I guess it would affect the retail sector, it would affect, uh, you know, restaurants and anybody that's associated with restaurants because more people would go out. It would affect, you know, like, so, you know, you'd have to, you know, it would affect um, maybe medical supplies also because you, know, you, you see companies that are making, you know, or trying to catch up with uh, PP, you know, uh, you know, the demand for uh, face masks and things like that. So if they came out with a with a 
cure tomorrow, maybe those companies would be doing less volume. So you'd have to kind of consider how uh, that would, you know, how that would affect that company. Um, so, so, you know, there's so many things, you know, that you would have to kind of consider. Uh, you know, I don't know that, I think when you're talking about like a, like a hedge fund or you're talking about a, um, you know, like, or an investment bank, you know, there's different trading strategies that uh, different portfolio managers have, and some of them are quantitative and would, you know, take, you know, would take that, in, you know, into account. But I don't think that, uh, you know, they're, they're basically going off of, um, you know, different strategies, you know, different algorithms, say, for instance. Like, so if I'm like a market maker, say, for instance, none of that stuff would matter. And and on the IT side, I know you said you're an enabler. So what have you been able to do? How have you been able to get your company, people that invest with uh, Schoenfeld, have you been able to help them survive this pandemic? My job is we have uh, data centers all over the world or, or co-locations all over the world where we, we keep our servers next to uh, next to markets. And... Uh, you know, we keep our portfolio managers, uh, you know, uh, we, we keep any kind of technology problems transparent to <laughs> our portfolio managers. We have backups and we have all kinds of stuff that, you know, you know, my job is to make sure that those guys sit at their desks and are able to pull the trigger on any trade that they want to, you know, that they want to do. So for us, um, you know, the infrastructure is always there and it's just uh, vigilant monitoring, making it better, faster, stronger, um, you know, uh, more resilient to, you know, physical things like, you know, like if somebody kicked a hard drive out or if, uh, you know, we lose some storage. We want to make that completely transparent to the guys who are on our front office and in our front desk. And that's the job of anybody in operations really is to sort of make, you know, uh, you know, the, the infrastructure for which is required by the company as transparent as, as, you know, almost like it's like, it's not even a thought. It's always there. It's always like, you know, you know, they don't have to worry about it. It's like picking up a phone, you would expect to hear a dial. And that's, you know, if, 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 if that's what my job, that's what it is. These guys pick up, you know, and they're able to trade flawlessly every single time. And, you know, for the most part, we deliver that. Occasionally we'll have some glitches, but, um, as an IT person, when you see places like Twitter get hacked or you see other institutions get hacked, that must drive you crazy because you guys are working hard. But does that threat exist within your field as well? I'm sure it does, right? We have a lot less. Uh, it, it, of course, anybody can get hacked, right? And and obviously, if you're you know a large hedge fund or investment bank, there's always a there's a target on you, right? But I, I think the advantage that we would have over like a Twitter or um, you know a Facebook or any of these other companies is that a lot le less a lot less of our infrastructure is publicly publicly exposed. I think you know like you know you'd have like a website, you know, what those websites are not, you know are usually non-transactional. Like if you want to like um, I don't know, Renaissance Technologies website or Millennium Partners Technology, you know, or Millennium Partners, you know, MLP.com or something like, you know, one of those websites for a hedge fund that's similar to ours. Um, you would notice that, you know, there's not a lot of interaction that uh, that one can do. So most most times like with Twitter or Facebook get hacked or 
uh, you know, it's, it's usually through like a web interface or a phishing attack or, you know, like, like it's a, like a web-based type of attack there, you know, but for us, you know, in, in my line of work, we don't have a lot of front end exposure to a lot of people. So if you were targeting like, like a hedge fund or, you know, something like that, you'd have to kind of find one or two exposed systems out on the internet. Uh, and then you would have to, yeah, look for security holes within that, or you could do a phishing attempt. You know, phishing attempts, and those, you know, those are actually kind of effective. But well, how do you guys manage uh, you know, the global yeah. aspect of this? Because I know you just said you're you're globally. So how do you get all those systems managed for your for your hedge fund runners and advisors and traders? Like, how do you make sure all of that's maintained? It seems complex from where I'm sitting. Uh, yeah, if you have a couple of thousand machines in any kind of company. Um, there are, you know, there's definitely some techniques you could do. First off, we have a security team that is very, and, and we all, everybody in my line, there's always a security team. And if anything needs to get, uh, like a couple of days ago, Red Hat came out with a, uh, with, with a security flaw and there's a fix for that already. So we are you know, going to push that out this week and make sure that we are covered on, in that aspect. So it's always, you know, we, we know, you know, we deal with our vendors a lot when there's a, when there's a patch or a security fix or something like that, we push it out immediately. Um, for other things, we have configuration, you know, like configuration management tools like Ansible or Chef. And, you know, what we do with those is if we change something, one setting on one system, we test it, we make sure that it works really well, or, you know, it, it provides the, um, you know, like a kernel parameter or something like that on, on some of our Unix systems. And, you know, we find that, okay, you know, that, that, that has some really good effect on this set, subset of servers. So with our configuration management, we'll pull a trigger and, you know, it'll go out and it'll configure all those servers the same exact way, you know, within that group or that inventory. And then, if anybody, you know, and if we run that on a daily basis, if anybody makes, you know, changes something on that system, when we run our configuration management tool, it will revert back to the way that we had set it up initially. So it's, it's hard to, it, it makes it harder to deviate from like a particular subset of, you know, or type of system that we have configured for a certain thing. So our trading oh, systems, the ones that are actually trading are configured one way, um, our customer facing, uh, you know, servers are, you know, configured another way with, you know, extra security and stuff like that. Our uh, development servers, you know, where our development tools are, you know, we have a bunch of people logging into and writing code for us, uh, you know, all have the same kind of tools and things installed on there configured another way. So, um, and, and we keep it as uniform as possible. And, you know, with the configuration management, it forces that uniform, you know, that uniformality. Thomas, for those who know you, uh, may not know your story. So tell me here, what what got you into this whole finance tech field that you have been grown into here? My gosh, I uh, kind of fell into it. I, I <laughs> you know, I was in. Uh, I, I didn't, you know, do school or university the the traditional way. I sort of. Um, you know, I was going part time, and I think I, you know, I wanted to do computer science, and I ended up in a job where I was going to different data centers, and you know, for like Dell. You know, I didn't work for Dell, but I worked for a company that was, you know, had contracts with Dell and HP, and I would run out and I would change out a hard drive or add memory to a system, or you know, and that was my job for a couple of years, and 
because I knew Unix, an internet service provider asked me to go work for them. And I said, yeah, that, you know, so I you know, became a systems administrator. And then because I was in school also for computer science, I was doing systems administration and software development in school. I worked for the American Institute of Physics as a Unix and C programmer. Uh, and I did that for a couple of years. And then I found my way into AIG as a project manager, uh, you know, and um, managed a lot of their, you know, larger corporate, uh, you know, treasury type projects and things, you know, things like that. And, you know, over my career, I kind of flip-flop back and forth between managing, you know, large numbers of systems as a systems administrator or engineer or writing software for companies. And I've kind of, from AIG, I went to Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, Bank of America twice. I was working for them. I went to um, uh, Millennium Partners. I was there for a bunch of years. Uh, you know, BNP Paribas, I was working on the trading floor as a, you know, as an engineer there. So, um, you know, I have, I have a specialty niche for, you know, you know software. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a systems engineer that writes a lot of software development, you know, like writes, writes a lot of software. So I, I kind of fill this like niche between, um, you know, like a traditional systems administrator and a traditional software engineer. And there's, there's like a need for someone in that space. Like, for instance, like two days ago, we were <laughs> we were finding that like in a file transfer, you know, we were having, um, you know, we were able to duplicate it with a piece of C code that a file transfer was failing between two servers and, you know, in different data centers. And why is this happening? And, you know, I was able to write some code and, you know, trace system calls and, you know, do a bunch of stuff that, you know, normally would fall in between, you know, like in between these two particular jobs, but I was lucky enough where I've had that kind of experience for both. So that's how I ended up doing what I do. Um, you know, yeah, banks and hedge funds have, have uh, you know, are prevalent, prevalent in New York. New York. So, you know, it was, it was only a matter of time before I ended up working in, you know, in this, you know, this industry. They're the ones that hire the most technologists here. Tom, if I was in Silicon Valley, Valley, I would probably work with Twitter or something. Tom, it's very interesting you say about how, uh, and that is fascinating, but I want to say thank you then because it seems like because of your efforts and so many tech efforts, uh, businesses were literally able to get the, you know, stock screens in their own office. I think I told you the story. I was at MDSAS years ago, and they had the trading floor. They had all the stocks and everything on their screens. And I, as we're talking here, I'm like, well, that's because of your guys' efforts, because you guys put it in the offices. And so that was about 20 years ago. So when that shift started to happen, I guess that was sort of a telltale sign that, yeah, trading was changing right before our very eyes. It became easier. You know, it's... Uh... Yeah, and, and also the humans, you know, on those exchange floors were not able to keep up with the quantitative strategies. So if I have a computer system, like I would literally shave nanoseconds off of a trading, you know, situation, like our trading, you know, by taking a, uh, a five millimeter network cable and making it a three millimeter network cable. And that would save me two nanoseconds and that would help me be, you know, get to a deal. There's no way a human can operate in nanoseconds. That's that's a billionth of a second of nanoseconds. So, you know, if I'm able to, so within one, you know, within one second, one second is an eternity to people in, you know, high frequency trading where, yeah, within that one second, I'm doing, you know, or, you know, I can do a million trades in that one second off that one system that's just, 
yeah, making those trades all day. And, and you know, that sort of volume and frequency would be on the trading floor to do it. That is, um, I know, it, it, we see the fast paces. It's kind of like a glorified fast paced thing we see on TV or even in trading places, other play, other movies like that. But I've got to say, what was that transition like moving the stock floor to business offices? Like, was that um, just, what was that exciting to you to help move all of this into the business uh, office world? I think uh, when I started on Wall Street, you know, again, uh, this is back in the, you know, late 80s. And, you know, I would walk, and I, and I, I wasn't working for an investment bank, but I was working on Wall Street at this uh, technology firm there. And you would see people coming out of the buildings drunk at eight o'clock in the morning from the night desk someplace, or, you know, they were working, you know, they were trading nights and they were loaded. Or, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, the 80s had, you know, Wall Street was famous for the cocaine and the, and the drinking and the partying. And, you know, it was almost like, you know, <clears throat> you know, Chad would go into it, you know, We'd go into work one day and say, you know, guys, I was at the, the Chevy dealer show. I was buying a Chevy over the weekend. The place was packed. Buy a million shares of Chevy. You know, like, um, and it went, for, it went from that where, you know, uh, to, you know, a lot of math, <laughs> you know, frankly, a lot of math geniuses and kind of nerds uh, taking, you know, taking over Wall Street uh, because they were, you know, doing things quantitatively. If you look at like some of the biggest hedge funds, you know, Jim Simmons runs, uh, Renaissance Technologies and Stephen Schoenfeld is, you know, known to be, uh, you know, into stats. You know, he runs Schoenfeld and, you know, uh, most of these guys who are portfolio managers have degree, you know, you know, you know graduate degrees in finance, physics, mathematics, statistics, uh, applied mathematics. You know, those are, you know, you know, those are the, you know, those are the degrees that these portfolio managers have. And, you know, it went from this, like, really, you know, party type of environment to, you know, almost overnight in the, in the, in the nineties and early two thousands to this collegiate, you know, sort of academic type of environment, which surprised a lot of people. And, um, and, and, you know, I want to cover OA too, because I'm sure you have a lot of stories during that meltdown of the tech side, especially, but really quickly, you just mentioned some hedge funds managers, and Stephen Cohen's been in the news because he wants to buy the Mets. So when someone like that, when a hedge fund manager is in the news or one of your guys is in the news, do you find the traffic to all of these sites just jump up uh, when these guys are mentioned? Or what, what drives the traffic to websites for Schoenfeld or even other hedge fund managers, uh, you know, sites? I think, you know, nothing. if I were to guess, I'm not looking at the web stats, but like, and so I feel that I don't like we market, but our marketing is very different than, you know, um, you know, like our marketing department obviously do things very differently than somebody's marketing toward consumers. So, you know, if we're marketing, we're marketing as somebody that is, you know, running a pension plan or a um, or an endowment fund or, we, you know, like those, you know, so it's a. You know, it's it's a very different type of thing than being you know wanting to be incredibly public and having consumers come to us because consumers are not the the buyers of our product. You know, it's like for you to invest in a hedge fund, you know, you have to meet certain criteria, which automatically makes you like a millionaire because you know these strategies are not like like and I, and I'm not a I, I personally don't invest in a hedge fund because like it's 
a very you know high you know bar to you know to get over for for a lot of hedge funds. So you know, I'm like anybody else. I have like my 401k and I have these long-term sort of uh, you know investments in you know my personal life. But you know, for you to invest in a hedge fund, you have to have you have to meet a certain criteria in terms of your financial income or your holdings. And the reason for that is the SEC says you know these are kind of you know risky investments. You know, these guys are not. You know, sometimes they, you know, doing fundamental trading, they're doing, you know, some of them are doing, uh, you know, quantitative trading where, you know, they're shorting, you know, stocks and they're doing, well, you know, options. They're, you know, they can invest in, you know, some more exotic products if they wanted to. They can do whatever they want. So, um, so we're not, you know, so our web traffic and, and maybe consumer awareness is not, uh, you know, what, you know, what, <laughs> you know, what you would consider to be like, you know, driving traffic to our site. Uh, obviously, if some, I guess if somebody in, in the, you know, made the news, you know, for partying, you know, out in the Hamptons or something like that, then, you know, it would drive some interest. But when you, you know, when you came to a, you know, our sites or our websites, you know, our websites are very, you know, generic and, you know, um, you know, for public consumption, like, you know, hey, we're, tra- you know, we're a trading advisor, but, you know, that, that's really about the, you know, you wouldn't see like, uh, you know, and we put maybe if you if we had some news stories in the, you know recently in the news, and again our news stories would be like on the business section where you know we acquired you know a portfolio manager or we you know somebody joined our firm you know if it made the news it would you know but it's not the type of thing that like you know and actually I would say because of sort of the I had to say anti-capitalist feeling I get in the news today, it more more likely all these stories get reported are bad news, and I always think. That doesn't help the cause either, you know? Like, come on, there's got to be some good coming out of capitalism to this day, and, and we got to talk about that. Well, you know, we, you know, there's, there's a lot of good things that come out of capitalism. I mean, innovation comes from capitalism. You know, if you have venture capitalists, there are, you know, they're investing in startup, you know, startup companies and startup technologies and startup uh, ideas and, you know, the ways, uh, you know, ways to do things differently, which is kind of what we all want, right? <laughs> Absolutely, and this but, is why. But to do that, but to do that, you're going to need some sort of, uh, you know, some sort of finance. You know, like you can't. Like I, I couldn't just say, you know what? I think I want to do this thing. I want to start my my own gig, because I need, you know, research and resources, and you know, and I have to get funded by somebody. It's always, you know, investments I could do that, or maybe two companies are are well positioned to be partners, and somebody has to handle the banking and the, and the merger and acquisition, and you know, like that's. And and I think what we have to say, and maybe you can say it too, is that it's amazing when someone, our next door neighbor, so to speak, can invest in a a project we're doing. Like that is what self-reliance is about. That's what America is about. When people around you invest in your project, I think that's the most beautiful thing, actually. It it, it is. It is great. You know, (laughs) you know, we know that, you know, we've looked at other places where, you know, the state funds everything and it doesn't work out as good. I mean, the innovation and technology is coming to the United States, it's coming from, uh, you know, Europe. You know, it's, uh, you know, we're, you know, and we're, you know, the, the, our problem is we have to protect our IP <laughs> because it's getting stolen, it's stolen. You know, by you know, countries who are not well, really yeah, doing yeah, the same type of work, work we are. And, you know, whatever you think of President Trump, he has tried to stop the intellectual. Stealing, and I don't know if you've had that try, 
from Chinese companies, but that they exist. I mean, they're trying to steal our property to this day, and yet just yesterday, TikTok was sold, the, the, uh, the Chinese aspect of it was sold off, and I thought, I, another win. You get China out of our hair again, and I, I, I think that gets a lot. That should get more praise than it's getting right now whenever those things can happen, when we can get... Well, I'm on TikTok. I can tell you, everybody on TikTok is delighted that, that their platform isn't going away. You know, all these people with like a billion followers are like, oh my God, I've worked so hard to get a billion followers. I, you can't just pull the rug out from under me. I'm one of those. I don't have millions, but I have enough. And I, it, it helped me through the quarantine, to be very honest with you, and I just keep going with it. You know, I, 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 I'm actually a recent user. I don't have any videos posted, but... Uh, you know, I, I, I love, you know, the, yeah, the content creators on, the, on this platform because, the, the, yeah, there's a lot of really interesting and, you know, just brilliant content out there. There's a lot of joke also, but, like, you know, I can appreciate the, uh, you know, the people giving an effort and, and, you know, trying new things. And that's a lot of fun, man. I, I'm addicted to you know, scrolling through TikTok videos. Well, well, I'll the Alex Gene NYC because I'm still there. I'm there. So <laughs> oh, came with self-promotion. I love it. <laughs> hey, no, but now that we're on this, though, uh, on the China part, I want to specifically hone in on, have you seen companies sort of funded by China try and inv- infiltrate your systems? I don't know. I don't know about the infiltrate. I mean, you know, we, we are in, uh, you, know, uh, you know, we're in a global um, you know, business. So we have, you know, we have part, we have partners all over Asia. <laughs> you know, we have, you know, uh, we were in the news famously for acquiring Folger Hill for their Asian, you know, trading group. And I don't think I'm divulging any secrets here, but, uh, you know, we have, you know, traders in, sitting in Hong Kong saying, you know, like, and, uh, you know, yeah, they're our partners. They're part of our company. So how can I don't know Americans that. distinct from all right, well, this company is a Chinese company. When I hear that, I say, well, it's maybe a Chinese-owned company versus... No, it's an independent company that just happens to be from China or another part of Asia. Right. I think, I think with the TikTok deal, the, the, you know, there's, like, there's some kind of requirement that they must share data with the government in China. Like, I don't know how that works, but and my feeling was, was that... You know, I, and I, and I don't really understand why it got so big in the U.S. because... You know, or or to users, I don't think why you know like why do users at this point care because you know TikTok is stealing the same information that the U.S. government is already taking, or the you know or Facebook is already taking. <laughs> like it's the same data. It's on your cell phone. You're using technology on your cell phone, and you're already giving it away. So like, why are we so upset that you know, yet another entity is you know getting my you know what I'm watching on Netflix on my cell phone or what am I you know like. You know, what I'm listening to on Amazon Prime Music or something like, I don't know. It's uh, like what sort of secret data? I don't know why why this you know particular thing bothered people so much because everybody's get, if you're on a cell phone right now today, everybody's you, everybody's getting your data. Tom, it's, it's more like, apps. Yeah, fifty apps yeah. on your phone. I'm so glad you said that because the data mining has existed long before TikTok ever did. Let's put it that way. Oh sure, you know, and Facebook famously is always, you know under fire for the way they treat your personal data. And there's even documentaries about it on, on the internet. And it's, uh, you know, what's the big deal at this point? You have 50 apps on your phone. If you don't want your data being tracked, 
just take your cell phone. phone. Yeah. yeah. Or, or go to a flip phone. phone. Huh. Huh. The Cambridge Analytica, I mean, we almost forget about that now, right? But that was a thing. Right. Right. Yeah, that was, uh, that was, I think that was all Facebook data, wasn't it? That but, was, uh, and yet that seems to be yeah, forgotten oh, this weekend alone. Hey, Thomas, let's go to 2008, though, because I'm very curious how the technology sector and the IT of the finance world, if that was the takeoff point for, for you guys, like if that was the moment where people said, okay, we got to really buckle down here, so if a recession happens, at least we have the technology to withstand it. I mean, was that... Would you say that was a push-off point to, to really increase the IT awareness? Uh, no, no, no. We were, we were, uh, you know, very much, I, I would say that the, there was, a, there was a bunch of things prior to that that was, um, you know, kind of interesting. One was the influx of quantitative trading, and, and that was really the, the driver of, you know, how to, you know, like away from the trading floor into, into more of a technology driven, you know, sort of company. So if you look at like some banks, like two Sigma, <clears throat> for instance, is a uh, famous hedge fund. If you look at their website, they, you know, build themselves as a technology company. And if you go to Goldman Sachs's website, um, you know, they almost build themselves as a technology company versus like, you know, what they used to, you know, build themselves as an investment bank. But now these companies are starting to kind of see themselves as sort of, you know, technology hybrid type companies or, you know, because they need to attract, I guess, technologists. But, um, <clears throat> but that, that all came about because of the quantitative trading and the, you know, and, and you know, there was, you know, almost like a, you know, like an arms race in <laughs> to get bigger, better, faster systems. And, uh, you know, there's a company called uh, GTS. They are one of the, uh, there's, there's like one of two designated market makers on the New York Stock Exchange. And uh, there's, a, there's a famous story about them. They have, they have a company called Strike Technologies and they, they wanted to get data faster from the you know, CME exchange in Chicago to New York. And a company went and they <clears throat> drilled a hole through mountains to, you know, like, and to get this cable, the, the, the most direct, you know, straight, you know, fiber optic cable they could from Chicago to New York. And they were able to beat, <clears throat> you know, beat other people to this information within, you know, like a couple of nanoseconds or a couple of microseconds or whatever. And <clears throat> so that, you know, they were selling this and, and it was incredibly valuable to have that, the data, a couple of microseconds before everybody else. <clears throat> and uh, the GPS technologies, uh, you know, basically made that cable, you know, that they spent, you know, they spent, you know, probably a billion dollars to, you know, to create this cable. But GPS te technologies within a year or two made that thing completely obsolete because then they found that they can, you know, use microwaves. So GPS now has a microwave, uh, you know, network to get Chicago, you know, CME data to New York uh, faster than, than that cable did. And, you know, the idea was to get that information just a few microseconds faster. So when you have a race like that, you know, if I have that information a few microseconds faster, I can make that trade faster, and I'm the one that gets that business, and that other guy does not get that business. So that's the thing that built up Wall Street uh, technology, you know, that sort of, like, you know, speed and that sort of uh, – those sorts of algorithms to make things happen at a faster rate, and that's why, you know – and it's, and, it's, and it's like a cold war uh, because 
if a new product comes out, you know, we're all buying that new product to make, you know, because that product promises I could do something a nanosecond faster or a microsecond faster. So we all have to, you know, we have, you know, Wall Street has budgets for technology and we all have to go out and get that stuff and we all have to make sure that we're on, uh, you know, we, we remain on a level playing, you know, with our competitors and the thing that should, you know, so that's, that's the thing that drives technology on Wall Street. So by 2007, 2008, we were already, you know, well underway into that, you know, we were already, you know, there and, you know, trading and that would just, you know, made things faster, you know, to keep up with our competitors. This is fascinating because I still see us in these races for technology. I still see us trying to get to 5G or get to like the 6G over everybody else. I still see us trying to beat out China, Russia, and even Iran on the technological front. I, I would say I, I'm not sure if we're ahead of them yet. I would love to be ahead of them. Maybe you can weigh in on that. But I do know, speaking of cable and everything and towers, people were knocking down the 5G towers because they thought that was the reason why Corona was happening. I thought that was kind of insane. But, you know, for a long time, we've been trying to get there. I don't know. <laughs> We were yeah, I, though, against China, if I'm not mistaken. I want to think everybody wants to get, you know, like the faster, better technology, you know, because, it, it, you know, it's, it, it's great for, you know, nationalistic, you know, national pride, you know, like, hey, we invented this thing, you know, everybody's using it, but, you know, like, uh, <clears throat> but, you know, for more of a corporate space, you know, like anything else, if, if you have a better technology, people are going to use it and you're going to make more sales. So, uh, yeah. It's, it's what happened to Nokia. I guess they, you know, they stayed with a, you know, uh, you know they had this brick model that everybody is familiar with, but they, you know, did not really were not able to get into the smartphone business like you know, when Apple came out with their stuff and, you know, companies that were able to adapt, move forward. So like, you know, so who's it? Samsung and Apple now, I guess, or right. Google, Samsung, and Apple. Yeah, like if you're able to keep up with you know, able to run apps and able to do things on your smartphone. So like, that's what happened to a lot of companies. Like they were, they're not able to adapt to, tech, to newer technology and nobody wants to use old slow stuff. I remember, <clears throat> I remember when I used to see 3G on my cell phone, I'd be like, yes, I have internet. You know? <laughs> now I see 3G on my cell phone and I cringe. I'm like, oh no, yeah, to be, to be 4G LTE or something. You know? <laughs> LTE baby <laughs> all the way. I love LTE. Hey, uh, Thomas though, I, I got to ask you this as we're talking. I'm very, I'm, I'm just, I'm excited about how this could be just conversation one of so many because I'm sure even as we get back into reopening and everything more so, you'll have more insight into what's going on. But what did you guys learn in the IT space uh, from the 0708 collapse to do it maybe even better during this pandemic and keep things running uh, while everything else seemingly fell apart? I wouldn't say those are the, you know, those are the key moments for us. Uh, yeah. Well, I'd I, I say in, in my line of work, you know, in, in investment banking, I think we were already, you know, structured in terms of technology so that people can work from home. I think other companies are, you know, so we had things employed like Citrix and, uh, you know, uh, Zoom meetings and, you know, like everybody, you know, everybody had that on our desktop. We've had that on our desktops for a long time. And, um, we, you know, we've gone through, you know, because you know, in the banking industry, you know, you, you have to go through disaster recovery drills and you have to work, you know, be able to work remotely. So you know, those things became 
you know, it came, you know, for us, those things were, have been around for a long time, like virtual desktops. And, you know, like I could sit in a desk in my company and pull up my desktop. <laughs> That's my desktop in some place, sitting on a virtualized server somewhere. And <clears throat> when I, when I, when I log in from my house, I get that very same desktop on my, on my, at home. So, you know, so we've had, you know, for us, it's, you know, we've, we've had these for a long time. Uh, I would say that in terms of banking, I would say that the bigger conversation is always, um, you know, these flash crashes that, that happen because like those are interesting to me or, you know, as a technologist, because here we have these self-employed, you know, we, we, we've written these algorithms, you know, like we'll do, uh, you know, um, like let's say pairs trading or like a quantitative, you know, algorithm at a very high level. I'm not giving any, any trade secrets away or anything like that. But like, you know, if I if I notice that Home Depot is selling at you know X, and uh, you know that there's you know 80% of the time, if Home Depot goes up, Lowe's will go up because they're in the same you know you know same business you know, type of business. Um, so so like a quantitative researcher might look at the historical you know correlation between these two stocks and write some sort of algorithm, right? And if he if he wins seventy five percent of the time, then you know that's a that's a great you know micro strategy or you know that's a great strategy to have. So, uh, so you know, like, yeah, that's great. <clears throat> so when a flash starts happens, you know, you see the market drop, and then it and then it seems to like spiral thousands of points because all these algorithms are kicking off. Like, you know, um, like if one bad thing happens, like it, like it's almost like a chain reaction for all these algorithms to sell or to, you know, to do so. So like, you'll see these like crazy, uh, yeah, it'll drop like 2000 or 3000 points and then like dip right back up again. Uh, because, um, you know, <clears throat> like somebody's short, somebody's short sale algorithms have, uh, you know, have kicked in and everybody starts shorting stocks. And then like, yo, know, as a reaction to that, you know, somebody's, uh, you know, options start kicking in and <laughs> like algorithms start kicking in and goes right back up again. So those things are, are kind of wonky and I don't, uh, you know, like, like it's got, you know, I don't, I don't know what the answer is how to fix that, but, um, you know, <clears throat> there is, there is danger to, to trading at these kinds of speeds. Famously, there was a, uh, a company, you know, Knight Capital Group. Um, they had lost $400 million in 45 seconds because, uh, yeah, you know, one of their systems, you know, they, they, they might have had like eight systems that had a software patch on it. And, you know, one, you know, a guy, a guy, you know, didn't put it on that like eighth system or, or it didn't install correctly on that eighth system. So now they had seven trading one algorithm and one trading another algorithm. And uh, as a result of that, they lost, you know, $400 million in 45 seconds. And it, it nearly put the company out of business. They had to take in outside money or capital from uh, another company out in Chicago. But you know, those sorts of things are terrifying <laughs> and frightening to us. And, you know, we, uh, yeah, we're always trying to find a way not to, not to do that. Tom, that, I got to ask you. So to wrap this conversation up for now, I want to definitely continue this down the road. But do you think we put too much stock in the stock market to the point where, yeah, those flash crashes are devastating because we rely on it? And we being sort of the economy, but I would say the everyday person doesn't always check the stock market, right? So how would you advise someone who may not want to follow it but should be following it? What's your advice to the Americans that may not follow the markets? 
as closely? Uh, you know, listen, it, I have a lot of friends. In me, I, I, you know, I cannot manage my own portfolio. Actually, I'm not allowed to manage my own portfolio. I have to have somebody else do it for me. But I would recommend, you know, if you have some kind of control over your portfolio, or if you don't, you know, either deal with a manager, like a financial advisor, that is a fiduciary advisor that's going to be on your side, not necessarily, uh, you know, just selling you single products from a, you know, from their company. So, you know, always, you know, always check that, you know, you know, ask if they're a fiduciary advisor or not. And then, you know, if not, if, if you don't want to spend those kinds of fees, you know, which is like a one, 1% or something like that, or one and a half percent, you know, think of that, you know, pick up an S and P 500, you know, so, you know, you know, uh, index type fund, you know, those are, you know, if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna watch it, do that, and then and then you know for your 401ks. If you, again, this is for people that don't watch this stuff. I, what I advise, and I'm not, and I, and again, I'm a technologist, but I'm in the same boat as you are or anybody else is, where I'm, I'm not managing my own portfolio. I, I pick that you know that fund that you know like a year, you know, the year I retire, like everybody has that, like you know, I'll take a 2035 fund or the, you know whatever fund you know that is, and you know if I wanted to be more aggressive, I'd you know, push it out 10 years. <laughs> but if not, you know, you know, because that kind of balances your portfolio for you. Uh, I know a lot of people that, you know, that have, uh, you know, stuff in their 401k and they bought stock and they bought these indexes and stuff like that, but then they don't use it. They never look at it again. Um, and that stuff makes me cringe because, and again, this is not me speaking as a professional <laughs> trader because I'm not, but, yeah, you know, nobody's responsible for retirement other than you. You're responsible for that unless you have like some kind of pension fund or something. But like you're the guy that's responsible for, you know, not eating cat food, you know, when you retire. So, you know, it's, I, I, you know, I wouldn't, even, you know, if you're not going to watch it, put in, you know, get some of these, you know, get a manager to watch it or, or get, you know, get a, you know, a, a, a fund that is, uh, going to historically, you know, balance, rebalance itself like the S&P 500 and, you know, do things to kind of ensure your, you know, your retirement. Yeah, this stuff makes me nervous. nervous. <laughs> I, I, I am a little nervous to get into the stocks myself, but for people that do want to sort of, and if they can do a hedge fund, but anyway, for those who might be interested more, can they contact you and, and are you, is your company always looking <coughs> to keep advising uh, people in the markets. But we, we would not advise, like, you know, most people, like you would have to be like, you know, you would have to invest as a partner in, into our fund, which is you know, not for most Americans. You know, I can, it's for some, but you know, you know like we're, you know, uh, it's, it's not the same thing as like, let's say going to TD Ameritrade and opening up a, a brokerage account there. Like, you know, we're, we're a different thing. <laughs> yeah, because totally by law, yep. by law, we're only allowed to have X number of, you know, whatever that number is, uh, you know, investors. We're not allowed to mass, you know, have mass investors. So you know, we have a criteria, I think, for, for investing. Even if we're, and, and a lot of hedge funds are not looking for investors. A lot of them are closed up. We might even be closed. I don't know. Um, but I would say that, you know, a place like TD Ameritrade or Fidelity or, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of Charles Schwab. I, I love Charles Schwab. You'll always get a person on the phone 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And 
if you open a brokerage account with them, <laughs> it comes with a, the best checking account ever with zero fees and, uh, you know, um, you know no ATM no fees, fees ever, ever, anywhere in the world. I wrote a whole premise on Medium.com about how the Ameritrade-Schwab merger probably was such a great sign that business was, was back. I mean, when these mergers happen, uh, I think now, now it's a good sign that the economy, well, in 2019, that the economy was humming that they were able to make this merger, and it seemed to have bettered the customer, didn't it? I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know how it makes the customer better. I, I think both had solid products, but you know, as, as a customer of Charles Schwab, personally, I, and I, I want to say this, I get no, uh, no money from those people at all, but uh, I, I think they're fantastic. I, I really like them as a, you know, from a consumer perspective, uh, you know, I, I rarely experience better customer service than with them. Um, and their products, I think, you know, when I, when I have a, when I, when, and I used to work for Bank of America and I used to get like fees all the time. I got you, Thomas. Yeah, say that one more Alex? time. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. okay. So, 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 so the first I used to use like, you know, Bank of America, Bank of America as a, as a, you know, for my checking account. I used to get fees all the time. And you know, I moved over to Charles Schwab and I haven't seen a single fee any place ever. You know, even for ATM withdrawals and things like that, it gets put back in my account at the end of the month. And, you know, as, as somebody who's like, if you if you travel a bit and you're overseas and you use the ATM, you're getting it at the day's best rate, you know, the, the you know, the currency exchanges and, like, you know, it's little things like that that are like, man, this is fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Thomas, one last thing. Uh, one thing that many people may not know about you that you, and I know this is your first podcast, so uh, one thing people may not know about you that you're comfortable sharing anyway uh, before I let you, b- before we wrap up today. Uh, let's see. Love dogs. Uh, have two kids that are like, Four and five years old, uh, or or five and six years old now. They they, they got yeah, you know. um, you know, and my uh, yeah, my life is a complete zoo. <laughs> I, have a, I have a wife, and uh, you know, we, we live out on Long Island. Yeah, I mean, yeah I'm, I'm, otherwise, I'm pretty straightforward and you know, pretty standard. Well, Thomas, um, I don't know yeah, if we'll yeah. ever see each other. Nothing but chaos. chaos. I don't know if we'll ever see each other again on the subway, but we might. So hopefully, that day will come again, right? Oh, that'd be oh, wonderful. wonderful. <laughs> and, uh, we'll see. Well, I'm not really looking forward to commuting again. I got to tell you the truth. I'd rather stay home. I hear that, and I know you're out on the island. I think so. It's a, it's a different. That's a different breed than the city right now because it seems a little more open out there, actually. <clears throat> yes, yeah, it's. Uh, I guess I've been. I feel like I've been pretty fortunate to be out here for this because you know we, you know we all have a backyard. We sat in the backyard where this guys I work with that you know, or two or three bedroom apartments and like they do not have, you know, they, they have no backyard to go to. And it's like, ah, oh, man, I can't, I can't even imagine. So, Thomas, you know, on the you know, Sunday, yeah, and, and definitely blessed for sure by him. Uh, and it's Sunday, so I figured I'd throw that in there. So, uh, Thomas, God bless you, man. And keep up the great work, keeping our financial sector as steady as possible through the tech field. <laughs> and please come back. And I'd love to have you back. Oh, man. oh man. Great. Great. Thanks, Thanks very much. much. Cheers. Cheers. Good luck, Good luck man. Talk to you Talk soon. soon. Thank you. I'm Alex Garrett. We will talk to you again in the upcoming week. Stay safe.